Episode of Brown Colored Glasses. If you have tuned in thus far to hear the first two episodes, well, this episode is going to simply blow you away. It's Pride Month, and let's end this happy month on a really high note. I want to share a personal story with all of you, since I feel that I'm right here with you on this journey to openness and acceptance, slowly but surely. Earlier this year, I was invited to a wedding, a Desi gay wedding to be specific. I, like probably many of you would, had a variety of feelings about it. Confusion, bewilderment, hesitation, curiosity, novelty, all of that and more. And I also had my own doubts about how the cultural customs, rituals, and ceremonies would translate over. As part of a gay wedding. And I'm here to tell you that all of those feelings that I just mentioned were completely overshadowed by seeing two people come together for love. And it was beautiful in every sense imaginable. And those cultural customs I mentioned above, they did translate over. And there was just as much happiness, joy, and excitement that you would see at any other wedding. And that was for me getting one step closer to acceptance. I want to take a pause right now and ask you, as the listener, to take about 20 seconds to really dig deep and question yourself on where you stand in terms of your thoughts, beliefs, feelings, and level of acceptance towards LGBTQ, especially as a South Asian. We are going to revisit that once we come towards the end of our time together on this episode. And now let's get right to it. I want to share a dialogue that I had the honor of being part of with two powerful and successful South Asian women who identify themselves within the queer community. And I want you to open yourself up and really listen with all your heart. Hi, and welcome to the dialogue segment of Brown Colored Glasses. Today, I've got two、um, powerful,、uh, successful women on my podcast here to talk about LGBTQ. And I can't wait to get into this dialogue because it's also a journey for me、um, of learning, of appreciating, of just embracing. So, with that,、um, I want to introduce、uh, my two guests today. I've got Shama Dharani and Sanya Matani with me. And before we even go into the introductions, I'm going to do a quick rapid fire round so that we can get to know them a little bit. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> so,、um, the way we'll do this is、uh, Shama, you can answer first, and then Sanya, and we'll just go with that. And so it's. We know what rapid fire is.、Um, the first thing that comes to your mind, you just answer that and we'll just keep going with it. All right? Here we go. Texting or talking? Talking. Talking. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Invisibility. First celebrity crush? Sushmita Sen. 
<laughs> it shouldn't be that difficult. Take journal. All right, we'll move to the next one. Favorite junk food? French fries. Corn? Is corn really counted as a junk food? I think it is. Maybe. No, no. Uh, fries, fries. It has to be any sort of fries. <laughs> Cake or pie? Cake. Cake, of course. <laughs> um, dark or milk chocolate? Milk chocolate. <laughs> polka dots or stripes? Mm, polka dots. Stripes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm wearing with it right now. <laughs> LA or New York? Ooh. New York! <laughs> I'm going to stick with the East Coast, but my heart, I think, is in LA. <laughs> and last one, dawn or dusk? Uh, dusk. Dawn. Okay, you guys did great. I don't even know if I could have done that well. I mean, you guys were just on it with your responses. So thank you for that. Um, did, we get a, that did we get like a gift basket or something? Like, you know, I was really hoping. <laughs> you know, I, I I know, like coffee with Karan, right? He gives exactly. you. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll have to send you something virtually. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was a lot of fun, and uh, I think I got to know you both a little bit more with that, but I think I want to know a little bit more about you from you. So why don't we do a quick short introduction um, from both of you so that our listeners can know a little bit more about you. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you so, so much for having me here. I am grateful to each and every person who's listening to this right now. Um, so for introduction, I am Shama Dharani. I live in New York. I have been in this country for over 10 years now. I work as an auditor uh, for a bank. Um, and uh, I have been out for, um, well, I, I think I've been out to my parents for about, say, seven, okay, five years maybe, but I've al always been out in the way I, you know, dress and express myself. So, um, yes, I am a queer person of color, and I am very, very excited to be doing this. Awesome. Thank you, Shama. And Sanya, what about you? Let me just say my, like my face hurts. Like my cheeks hurt. I haven't stopped smiling. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so honored to be here, not just to be here, but specifically to be here with Shama. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. Um, my name is Sanya Matani. I, um, I'm a cisgender, uh, South Asian, uh, Ismaili Muslim woman. I identify as pansexual. I practice ethical non-monogamy as a profession. I'm a licensed therapist. I opened and own my own private practice in Orlando, Florida. Um, I've been there for two years. Um, and prior to that, I did, eh, I paid every other due in the um, mental health realm. And uh, I am an Aries. And uh, my Harry Potter houses are a mix between Hufflepuff and Slytherin. And that's pretty much everything you need to know about me. I love that. That's awesome. Some such unique uh, ways of expressing yourselves and introducing yourselves. So I really, really like that. 
Um, so I'm equally as thrilled to have both of you on. And I want to talk about the real stuff now, right? Like this, this whole segment is about discussing, talking about LGBTQ within the South Asian community um, and what it feels like and, you know, how daisies in general can be more accepting and embracing of this idea. And so with that, I want to ask both of you, right? Um, I know some of this you kind of answered in your intro, but I want to get into it a little bit more with like, you know, when did you know? How did you know? Um, what was it like? How did your parents respond? Um, all of that, right? So I just want to maybe through those questions, maybe get into a little bit more with your story and talk about it. So let's get right to it. In terms of being queer and identifying um, within the queer community, I, I think that I, if I had to pinpoint like when I first consciously knew and when I first consciously maybe interacted or acted upon it in a public way was probably middle school, like seventh grade. Um, and I just remember that specifically because of um, a particular friendship and relationship that obviously like anchors that for me. But um, if I had to really think as early as I have cognition, like as early as I have memory, I think that I recognized that there was something about me that um, was never going to be able to be held into a one particular box or label. And growing up, that made me feel other. And in my in, in this part of my life, in this part of my adulthood, um, it's definitely a more secure feeling. And so, um, I, I if I had to, there's no way for me to say like, you know, on July 12th of you know this this year, but um. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sanya, you're supposed to remember when you got that certificate which says, yes, you can be gay now. Remember, like, yeah. the one you get in the mail? <laughs> yeah. Like, here you go. Like, you try all the time because you want something better for yourself. And, like, you like my much. It's like, here you go. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love that. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, I've been identifying in this very specific way for over a decade, um, well over a decade. I've been identifying very specifically, even before some of these terminologies were terminologies that I knew I could utilize, specifically pansexual, specifically eth ethical non-monogamy. So um, you're talking about someone as young as 13 who understood that no one relationship could hold everything. And um, I've been living my life like that kind of since then. And so, you know, was there fear, like when you finally came out, like, what was it like? Um, how was it when you first told your parents, um, you know, if you have siblings or your friends, if they didn't already know, like, how was that whole e entire experience for you? Mm -hmm. I think that there's a, a misconception and which only comes from the fact that there isn't enough conversation about this. But I think there's a huge misconception that coming out is a singular one-time open and shut process. Um, I have, I have to, and I demand my, to be, I demand my own visibility. Um, but I have to come out every day. I'm coming out 
several times a day. But when I'm at Lowe's and I put down like a snaking the drain pipe thing, and I don't even know what to call it, um, but I know how to use Google. When I put that down on the conveyor belt and some cashier is like, why doesn't your husband do that? I have to come out in that moment. I have to make a decision if I'm going to allow this stranger to label and identify um, in their image. And so coming out is not a singular process. Uh, it is not a one-time thing. Um, and I would say the same for family. Coming out is not something that I did one day. And if I had to narrow down the day, we're talking like 2010. Um, but I came out when I made a joke about who I was going to take to prom. And I came out when, you know, I came out in a variety of ways throughout my adolescence and throughout my childhood. Um, fear. I think, of course, I felt fear, but conceptualizing that now in hindsight is my fear wasn't about who I was and being who I was. My fear was about in order for me to live my authentic life, I have to, I have to honor myself and in doing so I'm going to create fear in others. And that is incredibly overwhelming and an incredibly powerful feeling to have, but it doesn't feel very good. And so fear for me was something I obviously felt internally, but it was also something that I knew I was going to have to anticipate and respond to. And so fear is a complicated uh, subject for me, I think. And um, I want to give my parents a lot of credit for the way that they're choosing to handle this process within themselves. And granted, it's been years long of a process. So um in my teens, in my 20s, it's obviously not the way that it is now in my 30s. So um, I think coming out is a process for the person who is doing the coming out and also a process for the person who is receiving the gift of that information. I like that. I, I think I just got educated right now because I think in my mind and maybe a lot of other South Asians like me think of Definitely. it as a you know, a moment in time that it happens and um, your loved ones either accept you or don't accept you or go through some sort of process to get to the point of acceptance. Um, and, and, and you're right. It's not that it's, it's, it's a really long process that happens at many different aspects and points in your life. So thank you for that. Um, Shama, let's move to you. I want to hear about, about your story. Okay. Um, okay. So I first knew when I was somewhere between nine to 11 years old, like I remember this girl, oh my gosh, she was so beautiful. And like that felt like something else. Like just looking at her, I was like, whoa, you know? And back then I didn't know all this uh, gay lesbian terminology. I didn't know anything. I just knew that whenever I marry, I'm going to marry a girl. And the, and frankly then like you know i didn't even know it was considered wrong by the community or you know it's not accept, uh, accepted I, to me it was so natural and so normal that i never thought oh what are people going to think and you know when you are that young you don't you don't think about all these things right it, it, you just feel and you live and to me that's how natural it was like feeling something for this girl was and I, I didn't process it or anything. I just knew that hey, I like her. I like her and you know whenever I do marry, yes I want 
somebody like her in my life. So for me, that was knowing, um, really accepting, understanding sexuality, which is still a process. It's still a process. Um, it happened, I think, after... Um, you know, uh, after I was 18 and um, really accepting it, I remember um, I used to struggle a lot with the whole, um, you know, label of lesbian. Um, I, I remember when I was talking to this girl and her friends were maybe standing in a the corner, they were like, oh, are you a lesbian? And mind you, I didn't even understand what that word was. OK, but just the way they said it it made me so angry. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? Like, I got so defensive. And because because that's how we think of these things, like, you know, we uh, think it's something low, something that you're not supposed to be. But we don't realize that it, it is so natural. This is not a choice. But, you know, that's a different topic altogether. So uh, that's when I knew that's how I knew it. And then um, I took a, it was a journey to process it, to accept it fully. Uh, in terms of coming out to my parents, um, I came out to them. The first time I spoke to them about this was when I was 27. And I remember they were talking to me about, you know, oh, like, you know, look, uh, we ha maybe you should start meeting guys. It's time to get married, all of that. And I was like, uh, you know, I have to tell you something. Whenever I do marry, I'm going to marry a girl. And my mom was like shocked. Mind you, until now, my mom has been shopping clothes from the men's section. Okay. She knows how I dress. Like she knows how I express myself. So I really thought for the longest time, my mom would be like, beta, I always knew, you know, <laughs> because moms are supposed to know. And then, you know, I thought my father would be like full K3G, Amita Bachchan style. Nikal jao mere ghar se. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> so then, you know, I came out to my mother and I was like, okay, don't tell dad right now. I want you to think about this and let's talk tomorrow. Now I have realized if you want to tell your father something, but you don't want to be the person telling him, tell your mother and be like, don't tell dad, because that's the best <laughs> way to get it to him. Next day, my father calls me and he's like, oh, you know, like your mother told me, um, whatever you discussed with her and I want you to know if this is how you feel if this is what what you are you are my daughter I'm very proud of you and nothing changes that and I was like whoa what happened now fast fast forward to like last year I was visiting my family and my father and I were talking about something and I was telling him how you know like sometimes people reach out asking about my journey and all of that so my father told me that, um, frankly speaking, until now, since the day you told me, until now, every day I used to pray for you separately. I used to do a mushkilasan dua for you because I thought this is something bad that you've been given. You know, like this is something you need to be cured of. And I used to pray that you, you know, you get better. But I am starting to realize that this is something you are meant to be. This, this is something you're meant to be and you're supposed to do great things with this. So it makes me very proud to know that this is who you are. And that for me was a life-changing moment, right? Because like Sanya said, coming out is not a one-time thing. Yeah, my first discussion was when I was 27, but every time it's something more, something more. And even for my parents, I think I appreciate the fact that though they did not fully understand this, right, they were, they were still very supportive. 
they were willing to try to understand it and they were still willing to love me for for everything i am and i think that's what anybody wants that's what we are looking for in life absolutely so i i love that right like because as a parent and i'm i'm a you know mom of two kids i often think about things right like what are they going to grow up as what are they going to be um you know as a profession as uh just a person all of that comes from no matter what i'm going to love my child so it's really interesting to me that as daisy parents i think they themselves go through a struggle right of they absolutely just like any other parent love their child unconditionally but then they've also been sort of marred by their cultural knowledge and everything around them and experiences and what they've learned and what their society has taught them and i feel like they also go through this internal battle and struggle if their own child or loved one is going through that so i guess my question to you is with regard to you know daisy parents and families like what advice do you have for them how can they sort of go through this transformation within themselves if they have an inkling you know if they feel like maybe my child is possibly going to identify with lgbtq like what could they do right now that you both have been through that experience and you know the struggles and the challenges what do you feel that they could do like what could you impart to them so if if i could give one piece of advice to all the parents it would be that you love your child you know you love your child and when they come out to you and even when they don't right showing them that you love them is the best thing you can do for them because remember that a child's perception of love is first formed from the parents at the first in understanding of love comes from the parents so you thinking that oh my god how will the community handle this and how will, what are people going to say like people who don't even matter who don't care if your child is alive not alive like they they, they don't even probably know that your child exists right you're thinking about all of those things and you are making your child's life difficult or you're th- uh, you are probably you know having this uh this wall between the two of you don't do that just just show them that you love them and yes you don't need to understand everything okay do just that that's fine T- tell them that i'm still trying to understand that is fine but don't react in a way that your child feels scared because the only love that matters to them is yours don't think about oh how will they have a happy life who's going to take care of them how will they ever find love that we don't have that guarantee okay straight or not we do not have guarantee of the fact that we will be happy okay so you can just because your child uh, identifies with the queer community doesn't mean that they don't have a chance to be happy your child's happiness first 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 comes from you so show them show them that you know you love them and show them that you are proud of them and be supportive of them that that's all that's the one be- one best thing you can do for them sanya what about you i'm interested in your opinion too especially because you work in the mental health field right 
So I feel like yeah. this hits home. Like, what do you have to say about this? So much, like so much of my identity is, is tied into all of the, the work, the mental and spiritual work that I've done. Um, I, I want this message to be very clear. And I, and I hope, I hope my words, um, you know, do me justice today. The only advice that I have to give to specifically our desi parents, but to any parent is that you would need to dig into yourself and ask yourself, what is your relationship with the concept of love? And more importantly, what is your relationship with your God? And you need to ask yourself if your God would ever put you in a position to treat one of his children with anything but openness, regard, respect, curiosity. And if, if your relationship with your God creates a feeling within you that your child would benefit from a rejection from you while your blood runs inside of their veins as well, it will ask you to question if the love that you are so desperate for your child to receive in your definition, in your image of love is love that any child of God deserves. Cause my Allah would never encourage me to deny who someone believes they are at their core. And that is not a religion, religion, relationship, spiritual relationship that I have with my Allah. And that is the only advice that I have to give to parents. So I don't disagree with Shema. I think our first, and so now my mental health component will come in, right? I do not disagree with Shema. I think that it needs to be for parents to, to react with this feeling of what did I do wrong? There is absolutely nothing that you did wrong until you uttered those words to your child in the most vulnerable time of their life. You have literally done nothing wrong as a parent until you said those words to your child, because your child has just shown you the utmost respect by allowing themselves to know that what you have taught them about love is allowing themselves to connect with this part of themselves and to live authentically in a world as that person. So there is nothing that you did wrong, quote unquote, to create or make your child this way. The damage is in when your child comes to you with this level of authenticity and clarity of mind about what they could want for their life. The only damage that is done is when you reject your child's desire to connect with you. So you literally got me teary eyed. Um, with that, both of you, right? I mean, again, as a parent, I can't express how I feel when you, when you say this, because it's huge for me. And I say this coming from a place, right? Like I am myself going through my own journey with being more, you know, open to this and embracing the idea of queerness, um, within our community. So it's, I, I can't thank you enough for those words, and with that, I think that when you were speaking, it triggered something in my mind about spirituality and about religion, right? So I think a lot of South Asians and Desis tend to think of this as conflicting. Queerness conflicts with my religious beliefs, with my spiritual beliefs. 
um, how do I rationalize that in my mind so that I can be supportive for my child? And I want both of you to talk about that for a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I'll share an incident with you, with, which is when I got okay with this, right? Especially religiously, spiritually. Um, this this was like uh, my second year, uh, second year in this country. And I think that's when I had to like really face the fact that, okay, yes, this is my identity. It is not regarded as normal in the society, uh, brown or not brown. And um, yes, this is not going to be easy, but this is how I feel. And I remember I was so sad because I was like, um, I was frankly thinking about my parents, right? Like my parents are very known in the community. You know, they're very involved. So my biggest fear was people are going to make their life difficult for how I feel. Okay. And like, this is going to be so challenging for them. Like, mind you, I'm not even thinking about what I'm going to go through all of that. Right? I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about mostly about my parents. And I, I, at that moment, I was like, maybe I, I, I should just put an end to this, you know, because I can't change the way I feel. I can't. Like, trust me, if this was a choice, I wouldn't choose to make my life challenging. It, I would never do that. But it is so natural and I can't deny this. I really can't. Um, so you have to remember that your child can't deny what they are feeling, right? So for me, I was like, maybe I should just end my life because I can't help my parents. I, I can't stop stop feeling what I am feeling. I can't change who I am. But I can't even like put my parents through all of that. Right. And I remember going to the kitchen and I'm looking at the, this knife and something in me was like, wait a second. Right. If this was so wrong, why would God let me feel this way? Like God, what is impossible for God uncle? Like nothing. Right. He can just click like the, with like one, one, like without even uttering a word, he can make so many things happen. Why did, why did he choose for me to feel this way? Did he make a mistake? Am I doubt, doubting God now? Am I saying that you made a mistake by making me who I am today? You made a mistake by making me feel all the things I am feeling. Who am I to doubt God, uncle? Who am I? What is my identity? What is, who am I in this world to ever question that? If everything is meant to be, I am meant to be who I am. I am meant to feel who I am or what I feel. So I can't doubt that. So I told God, uncle, that, you know what? This life is not mine to take. Okay. So you have given me this life. My goal is to live and do what I feel. I believe I is right without harming anybody, right? Without harming anybody. I am living my life. And I am going to do my best to make this life of service to other people. Now, if I am not meant to live this way, you change that. It is now on you. And that's how I came to terms with that. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I will say another word before yes, but out of respect for my South Asian community, I will refrain. Yes. <laughs> I think, Senya, from a mental health standpoint, that for you is like music to your ears, right? That is beautiful. And I'll tell you a personal story. Um, yesterday, one of my teenage clients um, came out to me. So I, I have two 
thoughts on this. I think anytime anybody chooses to step into their authenticity and their power, it, it is, it is just, you know, I heard this from somebody who I'm very connected to spiritually. And she, you know, hearing her say like, anytime a woman steps into her power, it is a miracle. And I believe that so strongly. I think that there needs to be a distinction made between spirituality, religion, and most importantly, culture. So if I, if I just narrowed it down to two, I think there needs to be a huge distinction between religion and culture. Something that I've noticed through this process of mine, which has been going on for several years, um, is that over time, my relationship and my um, connection to my religion has strengthened And what is so unfortunate and what is so disappointing to admit is that I feel like my relationship with my culture has diminished. And I wish that it wasn't like that. Um, When I hear even people within my own community, um, inside of my prayer hall, telling me um, how I should practice my religion, it does not do anything to separate me from my religion. And I will say at one point it did at one point, very similarly to what Shoma is saying, I, I had a, a part of me that questioned God and, and why this was the way that it was. And then I began to lean into believing that if God is the things that I was raised to believe, then I just won't unfortunately and fortunate for me, just be a little bit ahead of the game, even if I'm ahead of some adults in my life. And that's something that from a young age, I think I had to realize that I had a relationship with God and I had an understanding with God that other people were going to eventually catch up to, I hope. And all it did was separate me from my culture. And I think that's something that I feel like I'm missing so much is because intersectionality and duality is so important. And as connected as I might feel to my queer community to, you know, June is pride month. I think it's amazing that we're doing this podcast specifically, Yasmin. I think it's great that you chose this month to highlight this, but what I wish is that I felt connected by my Brown culture and my Brown community. One of the hardest and most devastating things for me was having a wedding, right? So I don't care for a wedding. It's about a marriage, right? But I'm not going to pretend like there are not cultural aspects of a wedding that are significant and important to me. I'm not going to deny that I felt like as a culture, the limitations that are placed on how we allow people to connect with us under the guise of religion is just inappropriate. And I think for me, that's something that if I say nothing else today, I think South Asian families, um, cause this is, you know, we, we feel our love from our original, you know, teachers, which are our parents, but we are, we are a collectivist community, you know, we are raised by our community. And so, it has to be said and it has to be heard that you need to dig into yourself and determine your relationship with your culture. Meaning what will they think? What is going to happen? Like I honestly, what is the milkman going to think? I don't know, but does it matter? Because what is the milkman going to think when you're burying your child? What, what is your God going to think when you lie to the world about why your child is being buried? You can, I know we don't talk about suicide, so you can say anything. You can say my kid died in a car accident, but then you are then compromising your own relationship with the God that you are saying is going to disallow this to happen for your child. And I think that's something that needs to be considered. Um, I did a lot of things in my youth that, you know, 
put my life in jeopardy. And I, I have, you know, there's on TikTok and there's memes and there's all these jokes about like, ha ha ha, what would it do if I just drove my car off a bridge? But that, that's not a joke to some people. That is a legitimate solution for some of us at the end of the day. And every time I had those thoughts and every time I chose not to act on them, I was honoring myself regardless of what any other definition, even by the people who created me, I was choosing to honor myself and Shema chose to honor herself. And it has allowed us to be present here today, not for you, but for each other. And we are allowing you guys to witness us. Yeah, I think um, it's very important to remember religion, whichever religion you follow, right? The point of religion is to love and appreciate yes everything yeah. that's around you you know respect everything that's around you the point of religion is not to say you are right i am wrong or vice versa it's not to say that the the way i am doing things is the right way to do things it's to say yes this is how i would like to do things that's how you do it you are a creation of god and so am i let's respect each other you know if you are so religious and if that's one of the things that's stopping you from accepting your child I, I I am worried for you because, you know, faith, right? The whole point of faith is that you believe in God to say, okay, you are driving my life. Who am I to drive my life? I am nobody, right? So to have faith in God to say, yes, my child, by being them, by being their authentic self, are, is going to find happiness, Okay, and I am going to love them for being authentic. Forget about finding love from this stranger at some point of time in their life, right? I, I am going to love them right now in this moment. And I am going to make them feel that, yes, they're accepted. Because then uh, the world accepts them, or, accepts them or not will not matter to them. They will feel so powerful that they can do anything and everything. And you are the one who can create that feeling for them. So if you could do one thing for your child, do this. Just just show them how much they mean to you. Just show them how much you love them, regardless of who they feel, they feel that feeling of love. Because we have to remember to even feel love, okay? That is an act of God. To feel that 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 feeling of, you know, being at a different level to say, yes, I am going to give all my life to you, no matter how difficult or challenging it may be. To experience that, that is faith. More than, you know, praying five times a day or going to uh, going to the mosque or the temple every day, you know. So that that that's how I think about it. Wow. I... It, this is so like I'm I'm literally getting goosebumps um, because I, I I agree with so much of this and um, again right like I want to the listener to hear all of this and also hear that for me as you know a heterosexual that does not have a lot of queer friends I probably know people that are like beside me that may identify with that but I don't interact with them. I don't socialize with them. And that's on me. I need to get some more queer friends. Um, but this is huge for me, right? And I think a lot of us struggle with that. And a lot of us need to dig deeper inside and 
consider our religious beliefs and consider our spirituality and really think about what both of you have said. Like, what does faith mean? What does it really mean? Um, and what would it mean for, you know, my child to, to be queer and how would I react to that? How would I embrace that and ensure that they feel loved? And, you know, one of the things you brought up, Sonia, I want to talk about that a little bit, right? Like, so this whole Desi notion of what success means. I think you mentioned like, oh, I'm not a doctor, right? So, <laughs> so sure. Okay, so let's talk about that, right? Like this Desi notion of success. My child is a doctor or a lawyer. My child is, you know, a heterosexual got married in their late 20s, you know, had their two, three children. They live in this, you know, big, you know, five-bedroom house. And um, that's success. My child is successful. And to me, that's happiness. You know, I've done my job. I did what I was supposed to. And now I can just rest happy. And I want to talk about that a little bit, right? Because this comes back to the whole um, and wanting to fit into the mold and wanting to like, you know, have this show of, you know, what success means. And let's talk about that, right? Like I am talking to two extremely successful people right yes, now. Correct. You are. I am. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you don't fit into that mold. So can you talk to me about that for a bit? Shama, do you mind if I start? I'm, I'm, yeah, no, no, go I'm ahead, here. please. Yeah, I, I can, I can see that you're like, okay, you're not rolling up my sleeve. Let's do this. Knuckles <laughs> over here, like, let's go. Um, from a religious and a cultural perspective, humility is so important, and I do not disagree. It would not be anywhere that I am today if I had not had that instilled in me as a value. Ego from a cultural end is something that is so um, scary for people. We're so avoidant of it. But again, from a mental health end and from the concept of everything requires balance, ego is not a bad thing. And so I'm going to speak to what success can look like. And I do not need to, this is not a humble brag. This is just facts. This is not, there. there this is not, um, I don't need to be modest. This is just facts. At the age of 32, I own my home. It is over $200,000. I own two cars. I ha have never made a car payment. I've paid in cash for both of my cars. I bought my wife a car. I own my own business. I lost my job on a Thursday at one o'clock and I opened my business at Tuesday at 9 a.m. In my second year of my business, I cleared up six figures. I have participated in my, um, my education. I earned scholarships. I went, I have been invited to academic spaces. I have been invited to spaces to speak. I have been asked to share my story that does not fit in the box of what success looks like. And those are all things that I have been invited to do. Those are not things that I'm screaming for attention for. The things that I'm screaming for attention for are only within my insular community. What about you, Shama? What, what are your thoughts on this preconceived notion of success? So I think it's a, a very important to understand that success does the our definition of success, right? doesn't necessarily mean happiness. 
okay and then being you know uh, just having that idea of success stuck in our head is taking us away from happiness because now i'm thinking oh if i don't have a house that i own i'm not as successful you know trust me there are like I can go on my Facebook feed and look at, like, be there for 15 minutes and ex- know exactly how unsuccessful I am, okay? Because people are talking about their success, right? So I think it's very, very, very important to remember that the idea of success that we have been raised to believe doesn't necessarily mean happiness. And if you really want happiness, okay, then then let your child do what they want to do. Because happiness is not necessarily having a car or having a house like that. Or, you know, happiness could just be that living in an apartment and, you know, maybe having a bicycle and still, you know, being truly, truly happy. Like people who are listening to this are people who think of themselves as successful, right? How many times have you sat in your house and thought, I don't feel happy? Have you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And if you have, then you have to remember that success and happiness are not interrelated. They are not. Okay. So please, please, please. Like, I think this is a time for all the parents and individuals to make a choice to say, do I want to be successful or do I want to be happy? I might find success on my way of happiness. I might not. And again, remember, when I say success, I'm I'm referring to the definition of success within our community. Okay, because success can mean so many things. But when you stick to that definition of success, of how you know, so that definition of success, if you run behind that, you may not necessarily be happy. But if you run towards happiness, if you work towards your happiness, you may find success in ways you have never imagined. And I'll, I, I, Shama, I just love you so much. Um, <laughs> that I think what's important to say is when I, when I shared the examples of success that I have achieved under that definition, those are not my examples for success. I live in a house. Great. I have a business, which I am very, very proud of. I have cars. I don't make pay, all of that. But my concept of success is experienced for me when I, when I have somebody reach out to me and say, Hey, Brown Colored Glasses is a brand new podcast that just started two weeks ago. And they want to talk to you about what it means to you to live as a queer person. And success to me in my life is not looking at that text message and throwing up, not looking at that text message and deleting it. So I don't have to think about how I would have to publicly identify and people would know. Success to me looks like sitting on this phone, this particular call with the biggest smile on my face, because there is not a single part of me that questions if any person in the planet heard this, if I would have to lower my head, if they looked at me, I will success for me is knowing that in this space, in this moment, speaking this truth about myself is never going to cause me to lower my gaze ever. That is what success looks like to me. And that to me, if I may say as a Daisy parent should if their child said that knowing, you know, that they came out and that they're queer should be, you know, that moment of success as a parent that I've done it right. That I've achieved what I wanted to achieve, that my child feels the sense of 
you know, honor and pride and respect regardless of their identification as a queer. And that I think to any listener right now should be very powerful. So I know we're coming towards the end of our chat here. And, um, I just wanted to ask you both, you know, let's end on a happy light note. (laughs) Not that it wasn't happy or light. I mean, this is, I'm beyond, you know, thrilled to, to have this opportunity, but share something fun, um, for the listeners, you know, that are really are eager to learn more and, you know, become more comfortable and embrace the idea. You know, what would you say to that? Oh, use your search engine, Google, you know, (laughs) pro LGBT websites, go like Google it, (laughs) right? Look up the ACLU, look up um, humanrightscampaign.org, look up um, GLAAD, you know, or just look up like, Literally put into your Google search, I want to know more about gay people. I want to learn how to support gay rights. What are gay rights? What does it mean to be gay? What does LGBT stand for? And that, that, is, that is what I think you could do for yourself, is to honor and respect yourself enough to invest in the labor it would, be, it would require for you to be educated the way that you are saying you want to be educated. Google performative allyship and ask yourself what performative allyship means to you. Hold yourself to a higher standard that as South Asians, we are not going to allow ourselves to be limited in our ability to exist in spaces, in white spaces. Educate yourself, right? Demand of yourself, the ability to participate in conversations because you have made yourself aware. I, I have such a difficulty with seeing my culture default to, I don't politics out of it. Like, I don't know. I can't speak to that. Speak to it. Learn about it. Yeah. I think Shama. one advice um, I can give um, is indulge in some deep thinking, right? Just by listening to this podcast, you have, come across, you know, the definition of religion and success and so many other things that we spoke about. Maybe indulge in some deep thinking to say, what does religion mean to me? Does it mean that the belief that, okay, because I am following this particular religion, I am better than anybody else and I am going to go to heaven and nobody else will? Or is it just to say, I want to appreciate what God has given to me and, you know, show respect to everything around me, even even though we may disagree, even though we may disagree, right? Think, think, indulge into some deep thinking about what is success to you? Because remember that these are steps we need to take right now. And I am speaking to all age groups, right? Parents, people who are planning to be parents, people who are planning to be, in a, be with somebody or not be with anybody. This is for each and every person because these definitions that we have in our head form our opinions or the way we react to somebody and in this reaction could be just to our friends it doesn't necessarily have to be our bloodline to say oh i this is the way i should react to my child no this could be your reaction to any person around you so do some deep thinking into this to say what does this mean to me what happens like if if you feel that okay your child might you know uh, identify or has a queer identity 
maybe start thinking about to say okay what does it mean how can i support them what what, what are the some what are some of the challenges that are going to that i'm going to come across and forget about your child maybe your neighbor's child maybe your your brother's child sister's child who cares right maybe a child that you will come across on the street but you need to start thinking about all this now to make yourself better than who you were yesterday so that's my only advice to you indulge in some deep thinking question yourself because that's better than other people questioning you question yourself and go through that rigorous process of changing the way you think mm-hmm. yes yes <laughs> well, one thing and i and i want to this is something that yasmin and i had um touched on in our early like our um initial planning call and i want to I want to thank you Yasmin for making this statement because it, and and when we talked about it you were you were really responsive to my feedback about it but something that I want to comment on is that this idea this notion that well I don't interact with queer people I don't know any queer people is is only perpetuating this idea that queer is something that can be like I don't have a stamp on my bottom that says like <laughs> queer like there's nothing on my forehead guys like um you, you guys can't see shama and i look very different and that doesn't matter you know like um so i think that this belief that like well i don't have any queer people in my life and i would have to exhaust all of this energy to find them i think you'd be so surprised like queer as a concept right there are more letters than the ones that we continue to repeat like queer is more than any other terminology is the the best way that I like to identify and that identity and community is so vast um for anybody to believe that you could somehow know that you have any type of um queer person in your life is really just reinforcing this belief that there is something other or overtly kind of obvious or apparent or other about what it means to be queer and so I would caution you against that thinking and I would ask you to really dig into like your definition because similarly then we would say that anything else like any other identity like even if I was a doctor um if I walked down the street and I wasn't like even if I was in scrubs like unless I'm in the hospital with a in the operating table like holding the scalpel and even then I would question there's to know by looking at someone who they are and so i would really caution anybody from from that idea or that belief that like well i don't have anyone in my life just because there's this idea about what a queer person is supposed to look like yeah like just yeah. to remind the uh, listeners right like queer people um, it's normal okay let's hear this word again normal like we yeah. feel love just the way you do i mean we get excited when we look at somebody that we have a crush on we get nervous around yeah. them just like you do trust me like the, the 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 whole statement of love is love is there for a reason like we go through the same emotions that you go through when you are like crushing on somebody and you know are interested in somebody so please please don't forget that just because we love somebody other than who you think we should be loving doesn't mean we are any different <laughs> yeah wow thank you thank you both for this right like just from every aspect of it from 
digging deep within ourselves, to educating ourselves, to learning more, to normalizing the idea of queer. I mean, there's so much in here, I think, for anybody listening to take away, right, for themselves and what they can do. I mean, Shama, I think you put it great. Like, you should walk away, uh, you know, how can I better myself from this moment? What can I do, even if it's one thing? Mm-hmm. So with that, um, I want to thank both of you, like literally from the bottom of my heart. Um, I, this was such an amazing journey for me that I'm going to continue even in bettering myself. And um, I hope that anybody listening is just feeling a sense of warmth and joy and happiness in their heart. So thank you both. Wasn't that just powerful to listen to? From learning about their individual stories to discussing spirituality and leaning into your authenticity and identity and the entire concept of love coming first from your own parents. I'm sure there were moments where you felt uncomfortable during this discussion, but also moments that opened your eyes and showed you another perspective to consider. So I'm going to ask you, as I had promised at the beginning of this episode, where are you now on the spectrum of acceptance with regard to LGBTQ? If the needle has moved even slightly, then this episode did exactly what it was meant to do, which is to think, discuss, ponder, feel, question, challenge, And that butterfly that I referred to in my first episode, well, I think it's literally fighting to emerge from that cocoon and going through that painful process to come out stronger on the other side. I'm going to leave you with a quote from none other than Ellen DeGeneres, the most visible LGBTQ public figure in America. Find out who you are and be that person. That's what your soul was put on this earth to be. Find that truth, live that truth, and everything else will come. And with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Brown Colored Glasses. Until next time.